Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. I want to make two announcements, and we're going to do it now rather than the beginning, so that those of you who are watching on YouTube are able to get plugged in. They're important announcements. We at Horizon, we have a mission, and our mission has always been to help people connect with God and to help people connect with each other. And if there is anything that is difficult right now to do, it is that, uh, connecting. Connecting is just extraordinarily difficult for us. There are There are many of you those of you who, who are watching online from Horizon, I haven't seen you in nine months, and you have not seen each other, and it is difficult. And we're coming up to Christmas and Christmas Eve, and Christmas Eve is going to be a really difficult, uh, Christmas this year is going to be a very difficult holiday for a lot of people. Um, a lot of us are already, a lot of People in the church and a lot of us at homes are already trying to figure out how we're going to do Christmas and who's not going to be there and how we're going to figure out how to do this celebration. And Christmas Eve is the same. So this Christmas Eve, what we are going to do is knowing that many, many people are going to be at home Christmas Eve, we're going to do our service. Our service is entirely designed for those of us who are here and for those of us especially at home for us to be together, even though we're at home. That's going to be the theme, at home together on Christmas Eve. We'll do one service, decided rather than trying to do a bunch of them and have small groups of people here, we'll do one, and we will be at home together. So one of the ways we're going to do this, actually several things that we're going to do for Christmas Eve, is we are going to make every effort to engage with those of you who are at home. And here is my invitation. Uh, We would like for you who are at home to be able to interact with us, especially for those of you who have not seen people for nine months or more. So number one, we want to invite you to make a short video in which maybe you want to sit in front of your Christmas tree or find some decorations and just make a quick video and say, Merry Christmas from the Danikers and uh, maybe you want to name some people or whatever you want to do, just say hello, and we'll be using that in our Christmas Eve service. And I really, really hope a bunch of you will do this. Make a video if you're using your phone. The tech team simply asks that you do it landscape rather than the upright way. Just do it sideways. Make a quick video, 15 seconds, that's all it needs to be, and send it to me by December 22nd. I would love for you to do that. Uh, make a video, and we'll be talking more about this. I'm going to have a video on YouTube and on Facebook, etc., a little bit more. But uh, just make a quick video and be part of our service at home. Secondly, because of what we're going to be doing during that service, we want to send packets of information for the service for those of you who will be at home, including candles that you can use at home, when we uh, do our candle lighting, most of you will be watching at home rather than here. So we want to get you candles. For those of you with kids, we're going to be 
reading from a kid's book that night. We want your kids at home to have the book, and you can read it at home with them. So we're getting packets ready for all of you who will be at home. You can pick these packets up starting next Sunday or during the week uh, after next Sunday. You can stop here at church. Don't come on Monday. That's the one day the office is closed. But generally, Tuesday through Christmas, you can stop here, pick up a packet, um, and you'll be able to use that at home. And then also as part of this, our children's program is doing a special activity next Sunday, a scavenger hunt by car. Not as a big group, but a scavenger hunt by car. It's a really cool thing for preschool through fourth grade. There's going to be an announcement in E! News for those of you parents with kids. If you are not connected with our kids program, but have kids preschool through fourth grade, please get us an email uh, or contact the church office. We would love to have you uh, part of this um, and participating in it. So um, watch your e-news, watch uh, the church Facebook or the public or the private group for more information. But we really want you to get plugged in, and as hard as it is, we want you to be able to connect uh, Christmas Eve when we are at home, but still together. And that's what we'll be doing Christmas Eve, 7 o'clock. Hope you'll be part of it. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll continue. God, thank you for the fact that uh, for all of, all of your instructions and your care for us in your word, there, there are not COVID exceptions there are not times when you say, well, it doesn't count now. And even at those times when it is just extraordinarily hard to be your people, we still are expected to be your people. I pray, God, that you'll help us as your church to figure out how to continue being your people, being your church in a world that so much needs your good news, and what you have to offer. God, I pray now uh, for us as we pay attention to your word, for those of us who teach, whether it's preschoolers or whether it's youth or whether it's adults, God, those of us who teach, we have a burden to be faithful to your word. So God, my prayer is that if in any way whatsoever I've gotten off track in preparation or if I say something that's wrong, God, I will pray that through your spirit, you will guard all of us individually and together from being influenced the wrong way. God, also I pray that you would take truth and through your spirits, you will be invading our souls and our minds and our hearts and our bodies and you would be shaping us into the kind of people and the kind of community you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you have ever worked as a waiter or a waitress? Yeah, a bunch of you. Um, I did. It was not a stellar career move for me. did not go well. But I did work as a waiter for a while. Now, I have to say that um, I discovered pretty quickly 
that um, that is that's no longer the PC word, uh, right? You know that we don't call people a waitress anymore or a waiter. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I could tell, like, there's a whole bunch of people who are like, huh? But yeah, it's not PC. I, um, I, I did not know what the word was. I had to look it up online. And apparently, according to the online source, I have not yet crawled out from underneath my rock since I did not know this. But uh, waiters and waitresses are now, somebody said it, we are now servers. Uh, waiters are servers, apparently. Now, I actually tried to find out, because I was curious, I tried to find out why we were ever called waiters in the first place, and I was not able to find a very good answer. According to my online dictionary, uh, I learned that the word waiter comes from the word wait. And for this, I pay for Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, there's only one woman who is actually able to suggest uh, a reason for where the word waiter comes from or waitress, and I'm quite sure she worked as a waitress. She said, it's because we are always waiting for you to make up your mind. <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know. But what I do know for sure is that we are no longer waiters. We are servers. To wait is now to serve. And you have no idea how biblical this is. Jesus could not have said it better himself. To wait is to serve. We're in Advent, the annual celebration of waiting for a baby. I'm going to read you a story that Jesus told himself. Now, obviously, logically, if Jesus told this story, he is not a baby. This is not a traditional Christmas story, but it is a waiting story. It's a story in which Jesus makes it very clear that to wait is to serve comes from Luke chapter 19. You want to read along, find it in your Bibles, and maybe keep your Bible open or just read online with us. Luke chapter 19. It starts at verse 11, and I'll read through the end of the story. Luke chapter 19. Verse 11. So the crowd was listening to everything that Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, Jesus told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Jesus said, A certain nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king. And then return. Before he left, he, divided, he called together ten of his servants, and he divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. Well, after he was crowned king, he returned, and he called in the servants to whom he had given the money. 
He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested the money and I made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you. So you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money, made five times your original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man and I take what isn't mine and harvest crops I didn't plant, why didn't you at least deposit the money in a bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then turning to the others nearby, the king ordered, take the money from his servant, give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said he already has 10 pounds. Yeah, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Now, this is going to be really important to this story and understanding it. Luke, um, who is the author of this story, Luke knows that for you and I to understand this, Luke has to get very, very clear about the why of Jesus telling this story. So Luke gets very clear about context, about why Jesus is telling us this story. And Luke said that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, that he was in fact getting very near to Jerusalem. Now you may not know this, but Luke uh, tells us that Jesus has actually been on his way to Jerusalem since chapter 9 of the book of Luke. When in chapter 9, Luke wrote that Jesus set out resolutely for Jerusalem. In other words, there was a time long ago when Jesus decided, I am going to Jerusalem and there is nothing that's going to stop me. Jesus was on a mission, and the end of the mission was Jerusalem. Now, you and I, we know how the story ends. We know that in Jerusalem, there was waiting for Jesus a cross and a tomb. That, however, when this happened, that was the furthest thing from anybody's mind. They were expecting something entirely different. Jesus had announced at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus had announced that he was here to restore access to the kingdom of God. Jesus regularly said in his preaching and in his teaching, Jesus regularly said the kingdom of God is near. And that word near is not a word having to do with time. It's a word having to do with distance, with space. Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is so close to you, you could reach out and touch it if you want to, and you can live in it if you want to. It is so near to you. And if you would look at what Jesus talked about, if you started reading through his parables and his stories and his teaching, you would discover that Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God than he did anything else. Regularly, Jesus was saying, this is what life is like for those of you who live in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus taught his disciples to pray kingdom come prayers. And he told his disciples to go about the cities announcing that the kingdom of God is near. And he told them the extraordinary things that I do with the blind and the crippled and the lame and the poor, they are all meant to be signs of the presence of the kingdom of God. And the thing is, every kingdom needs a king. No kingdom, no king. No king, no kingdom. And you probably know that the Jewish word for Messiah means one who is anointed to be king. Uh, The Greek word Christ, which we often think is the last name of Jesus, it's actually a title. The Greek word Christ is simply a substitute for Messiah. It's a Greek word that means one who is anointed to be king. And everybody who is listening to Jesus at this particular period of time is pretty sure Jesus was him. And they were right. They just didn't understand the timing and the cost of bringing the kingdom. So now Jesus is very close to Jerusalem. He's getting very near. Jerusalem is the historic city of kings. And everybody who is listening is right now thinking... Here we go, boys and girls. Get the confetti. The king is coming. Jesus knows otherwise. He knows he's the king. He knows he's the kingdom bringer. But he also knows that this is not going to play out in the way everybody thinks. The cross will intrude. So, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God will begin right away. So, he tells a story about a king who was here, who left and was gone for a while, and came back. Now, do you understand that the whole point of this story is about what the servants did while the king was away? That's the point of the story. In other words, what Jesus is saying to these people is, look, I know what you're expecting, but there's going to be a wait. There's going to be a wait. The kingdom of God is not going to arrive completely right away. It's here, it's begun, but it's not complete. There's going to be a wait, there's going to be a delay. And the theme of the story is, what are you going to do while you wait? Now here's the deal. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are living right now in that wait. While the king is still away, we're waiters. And what are waiters? Waiters 
our servers. So, because this is fascinating stuff to me, let me give you a little bit more detail about this story, okay? It's not really a question, but I wanted you to think that. So here's some more detail. First of all, Jesus does something in this story that is really, really fascinating to me. Jesus takes the skeleton of this story right out of Jewish headlines. It actually makes me wonder how often Jesus does this, but we have no idea. Jesus takes a story from Jewish history, and he uses this real-life story as the skeleton around which he's going to build a parable. So here's the deal. In 40 B.C., 40 years pre-Jesus, roughly, a man named Herod went to Rome and he petitioned Caesar and the Roman Senate to be named king of Israel. And they agreed. Caesar was the emperor. Caesar was the king of kings. But he agreed. And so Herod, along with many others, Herod became a king underneath Caesar, and Herod would rule one small part of the empire of Rome. Now, this Herod is known as Herod the Great. He's the Herod who was king of Israel when Jesus was born. This Herod was fanatically jealous. And when he heard that another man was born who was going to be king of the Jews in Bethlehem, he attempted to have that baby slaughtered. He failed, but he tried. Now, ultimately, Herod the Great would die. And when he died, his kingdom was divided among four of his sons. One of those sons, a man named Herod Archelaus, figured, well, it worked for dad, maybe it'll work for me. So Archelaus went to Rome, and he petitioned the Caesar and the Senate to be named king of Israel. This time, Rome said no. And they said no in part because Archelaus was not a good person, not a good ruler. In fact, Archelaus was hated and despised so deeply by the Jews that they actually sent a delegation of Jewish leaders to Rome, and they begged Rome, please, Caesar, not him. We despise him. We don't want him to be our king. So Rome, rather than giving him the title king, Rome gave him the title tetrarch, which literally means quarter king, like being called mini-king which isn't exactly flattering for a king wannabe. So Archelaus, despised and irate and angry, Archelaus went home. He called into his presence those Jewish leaders who had petitioned against him, and he executed them. 3,000 Jewish leaders he executed for treason. Now, fortunately, the rule of Archelaus lasted for just a couple years, and he was such a disaster that Rome eventually fired him 
and they sent him to start a Burger King franchise in Siberia. But does that story sound at all familiar? It's the skeleton of the story Jesus told. When Jesus said, a certain man wanted to be king. Jesus pulls this exactly from the headlines. He takes a story that everybody knew, and he shapes a parable around it. And he says, now, while this man was away, and that's the point of the story, isn't it? While he was away. Jesus says, while he was away, he called his servants. Kind of an important word, isn't it, for waiters? While he was away, he called his servants. He gave them resources and he said, be busy about my business while I'm gone. And there's a really great word right there. What you're looking at is... Uh, my paraphrase, in my Bible, the one I read for you, and you maybe are looking at your own Bibles, in verse 13 says, invest this money while I'm gone. But the word that Luke used has nothing to do with money or investment. The word that Luke used simply means to be busy, be active, be occupied while I'm away. So what do we do while we wait? We get busy. We get active. We get occupied. We serve. So let me make a quick couple of observations from this short parable of Jesus about what it means to be busy. Even while we're waiting for life to get on. Number one. Waiting teaches me what I can control and what I cannot. This is an important lesson for us. You know, it's really fascinating to me because I, I love history that Jesus has decided to take a page from real life history to tell his story. Real life history of Rome and Israel. This might actually bore you to tears, but because I love this stuff, I got caught up in reading some history about the interaction between Rome and Israel, separated by 1,500 miles. Little Israel, big Rome, kind of like Limeport in Washington. Do you know that the world had never seen anything quite like Rome. Caesar was called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Imagine, you have to go to Caesar and say, can I be a king? You have to ask, can I be a king? Caesar, at this particular time, Caesar ruled an area of more than 3 million square miles from England to South Africa to Asia. 
He ruled an area that was bigger than the lower 48 United States. The first emperor of Rome was a man named Octavian. He ruled Rome from roughly 27 BC until 14 AD, which obviously are the years that include both of our Herods and the early life of Jesus. The Roman Senate, because of their desire to uh, serve Octavian, the Roman Senate gave him the name Caesar Augustus, Caesar the Grand, Caesar the Majestic, Caesar the August. This man had a standing army of over one and a half million soldiers. It takes a lot of money to pay the salary of one half million soldiers. How do you do that? Well, Caesar was a pretty smart guy, so he had an idea. Caesar said, well, what we can do to raise the money is we can take a census of everyone in the empire and then tax every person in our empire. And it came to pass in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. That's quoting the Bible, Luke chapter 2 and Roman history. Caesar wiggles his finger. In come his scribes. Send out a decree, he says. And 1,500 miles away in a little town called Nazareth that Caesar never heard of, a dirt poor couple whose names Caesar would never know, they say to each other, well, we will have to go to Bethlehem to register to pay the family tax. She happens to be pregnant. The journey takes a couple days. When they get there, there's nowhere to stay, so they stay with the animal. She delivers a baby boy in Bethlehem. And it so happens that long, long ago, long before this, a lone prophet named Micah had said, Out of you, O Bethlehem, will come one who will rule the world. And Caesar never knew. Caesar would like to say, I am king of kings. I rule the world. I my finger and the world moves. Oh, really? Caesar never knew who really moved the world. And it wasn't him. There's a man named Max Dupree. He actually just died in 2017. During his lifetime, he was a Fortune 500 CEO, a best-selling author, a leading leadership guru who traveled the world giving leadership advice. He learned something about what he can control and what he can't, and he learned it the hard way. 
Early in his career, he thought he understood leadership, and he thought it meant being in charge, and that's what he taught. Lift the finger, and somebody calls you a private jet. Make a decision, and the stock market shakes. And then a very little tiny thing happened. A tiny little invisible germ invaded the life of his granddaughter. And she was deathly sick and almost died. And Max Dupree was shaken deeply. And afterwards, he wrote this. I am seeing again. How often we need to learn this. That we control only what counts for very little. Eyesight, lungs, love, health, eternal life are gifts beyond my power to convey. How easy it is to not understand this. And that's why in this short little parable, Jesus calls us servants. Waiters are servants. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He rules and we do not. And what do we do while we wait? We serve. Second observation, waiting is not passive. Doing nothing while we wait is not an option. You know, in some ways, I think that's the point of the parable. That third servant is kind of the star in this parable, the anti-hero. While he waits, that's all he does, is wait, and wait, and wait. Someday this will be over, and so he waits, and he failed. Doing nothing is not how we wait. Do any of you remember a remarkable movement called the Promise Keepers at all? February 1996, the Promise Keepers held a once-in-a-lifetime event for pastors in Atlanta, Georgia. We pastors, 40,000-plus, filled the Georgia Dome. This may have been the largest gathering of pastors in American history. Kind of scary to imagine being in Georgia, right, with 40,000 pastors. At several times during this conference, we actually broke into small groups, which was very hard to do, but it worked. They asked us to pray together in small groups, and praying together can be a very intimate thing. One time in the Georgia Dome, up in the very, very highest row of seats, I was in a small group of pastors with my dad. 
It was my dad's turn to share his deepest prayer request. Those were our instructions with each other. Share your deepest prayer burdens. And when it was my dad's turn, my dad said, I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do with my life. I'm waiting for him to tell me what he wants from me. I was stunned. I think I actually kept my eyes open while we prayed, waiting to see if he would smile and say, just kidding. At the time, he was near 60, my age now. He was a man who literally heard the voice of God when he was a young man. He was more devoted to Jesus than just about anyone I knew. He loved the church. He literally gave his life to the church. He loved people. He served them tirelessly. No one I've ever met lived and breathed devotion and service to the church like my dad. And here he was, very emotionally with tears running down his cheeks, saying, I'm simply praying that God will tell me what to do with my life. I'm waiting for him to tell me. (laughs) Well, if he was waiting, no one would ever know. Because while he waited, he served all his life long, every moment. And that's what we do. Doing nothing, doing nothing is not an option. While we wait, while we wait, we serve. Option number three. I mean, observation number three. It turns out that waiting, serving, is a very good thing for us. Those who serve in Jesus' parable are rewarded. And here's the thing. I actually think that because of the way God ordered our world and the way God has made us, I think that when we serve, that that reward actually happens kind of right now. I just read a fascinating story about a little lesson that some professors did at a certain university When school started, they went into every dorm where all the new students were. They gave all of the students balloons, and they gave them these instructions. Inflate the balloon, write your name on it, and then fill up the hallway with your balloons. The students did. Then the professor said, you have five minutes to find your own balloon. Go. No one ever finds their own balloon. 
Then the professor said, okay, take a balloon, read the name on it, and give it to the person whose name is on it. And within five minutes, everyone has their own balloon. Then the professors say, these balloons are like happiness. If you spend all your time looking for your own, you'll never find it. But if we care about other people's happiness, turns out you find your own too. And there's the reward for waiters who serve. So I need to tell you something about Horizon. I'm actually very proud of our church and I'm excited about this. In this last year, Horizon's leaders have made a decision to invest a whole lot of money and time in a ministry called the Stephen Ministry. This is their logo. I love their logo. I don't know if you can read it, but their logo says, Christ caring for people through people. Christ caring for people through people. It's a ton of money for a church our size. I found out in my training that most of the churches who are doing this are big churches. It cost us more than $5,000, and it will cost a lot more before it's over. And so far, two of us, Linda Brownback and myself, we've each invested more than 40 hours so far in training and in preparation. This right here, all of this, even the pile that fell down, I know you can't see it online, but there's, uh, there's a pile of stuff right here. This is all the stuff that we've worked through and continue to work through in our training. And what we are being trained to do is to train you, to train you to be Stephen Ministers. Stephen Ministry, by the way, is of course named after Stephen, one of the leaders of the church in Acts chapter 7, who was appointed to care for people in his church. For 45 years now, Stephen Ministry has been training people like you and like me to provide high-quality compassionate, Christ-like, one-on-one care for people who are facing some kind of problem or crisis. Stephen ministers are not counselors. They're not therapists. Like Stephen in Acts chapter 7, they're servants. They're caregivers. They come alongside people who are grieving, who are lonely, who've gotten a cancer diagnosis, who are struggling with some kind of addiction, who have some kind of an illness or who are caring for somebody who does, people who've lost jobs, people who are living out of cars, people who are in broken families, people who have prodigal children, people who've been abused, people who are transitioning out of prison, people who are caring for parents who have dementia, people who are seeking therapy for depression or anxieties or identity issues. The list of people needing help is pretty endless, isn't it? And these people are in our churches right now, us, and they need care. 
They need someone who will wait on them, someone who will serve. And that very well might be you. People who know the truth that if I spend my life looking for my own happiness, I will never find it. But if I care about other people's happiness, I just might very well find my own too. So in the very near future, you might be given an opportunity to begin training. It'll be intense. It'll be an investment. But then, what do we do while we wait? We serve. Doing nothing is not an option. And it turns out that serving is a very good thing. You know, there's a devotional. I'm not sure if that's actually the right word, but there's a devotional that I've been using for the last couple months. I've talked about it a lot. Um, It's called Lectio 365. It's an app on my phone. I engage in this devotional almost every morning. In fact, I joke, this is the truth, but even mornings when I'm hunting, the first thing I do is I get in my tree stand while it's still dark, pull my earbuds out of my backpack, put them in my phone, stare up through the trees at the stars and the moon, and I engage with God. There's a prayer that closes every single day except Sundays. I now know this prayer by heart, and I say it out loud with the speaker. When I'm hunting, I don't say it out loud because that would kind of ruin the hunt, but I have my priorities. But the prayer is this. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. For a waiter, that is a pretty good prayer to pray, isn't it? So why don't we? Why don't we pray this prayer right now? Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.